Welcome back to the Quiet On Set podcast. I am your host, Ewan Graf, and I am joined today by Lachlan Teeley. Hey, man, what's going on? Not much, not much. Uh, I've just been busy, just as you, uh, I can imagine, and um, barely made time enough time to watch this almost three-hour-long epic. Yeah, I don't know about you, but Blade Runner is a lot of fun, right? Oh, man. Well, uh, probably my favorite movie of all time, at least Blade Runner 2049. Uh, man, this, this film gets me going every time. Oh, I'm so excited to get into it with you um but before we do that we have a couple other things that we're doing before we get into the full-blown roll that again review we just wanted to quickly shout out our patreon we do monthly bonus shows over there called drunkcast which are always a lot of fun so go check that out you also get access to early episodes you get to vote in polls and much more go check it out if you are willing to chuck in a buck and support us um but you can also support us without spending any money just a couple seconds and going over to apple review leaving a five-star review it goes a long way it helps us out a lot so thank you for everyone who's doing that um so for the rest of the show we are just um going over what we've been watching um we'll do a quick dennis villeneuve ranking of the movies that we've seen from the filmmaker and then we'll get into the full-blown spoiler-filled review of blade runner 2049 and i'm really excited But before we do that, Lachlan, what have you been watching? I watched one film since I've last seen you. <laughs> <laughs> one film. I've been. I'm busy. I've been a busy boy, man. I've been a busy guy. That film is. I want to see if you can guess it. Okay, I'm going to give you some hints. All right. First yep. hint. Directed by Steven Spielberg. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Starring Tom Hanks. Oh, okay. There's a couple. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. And what's my it third involves, hint? Mm-hmm. It involves planes. Ooh, what film okay. am I? I don't think uh, the what's the World War Two thing? Saving Private Ryan. They only just land on it. I don't even know if there's planes involved. If you would have said the like decade, I think this would have been really easy. If it was nineties, then I would go yeah, Saving Private Ryan, I guess. Mm-hmm. But something that centers around planes, uh, maybe being in the background in the two thousands, I would go with the Terminal. Mm-hmm. Am I right? Oh, is that your? Are you looking in that answer? Uh, yeah, I I don't, I don't know any other movies with. I, are you sure? Oh you're no, no, in wait, that no. Catch me if you can. Is also there, huh? Ah, uh, interesting. Did, 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 I don't think they have planes choices. in the post, and and I guess the castaway wasn't. Wait, oh, there's also no Captain Phillips was the boat. Ah, I'm so confused about Tom Hanks's filmography. <laughs> Steven Spielberg, oh, Tom Hanks with planes. Um, I mean, I think you've already seen Catch Me If You Can. Definitely seen Saving Private Ryan. So if you go for something new, I don't think you would go for a rewatch. So I'd say The Terminal and I'll lock it in. Yeah, you're right. It was The Terminal. Yeah, boy. <laughs> this is the perfect time to also um, maybe mention that I just got on Letterboxd and I saw your review for it. Motherfucker. So that you logged it. <laughs> so I played you. Maybe I'll cut this out and make, my seem so, uh, make yeah, myself well, make seem smarter. <laughs> well, you magically just discovered what I watched. And not by looking at Letterboxd. Congratulations. Uh, that's a, that's a problem um, you should do what I do. You should, like, f- for three weeks, you shouldn't log anything and then just dump it all at once. And just dump it at once, yeah. yeah. Nah, look, I, uh, it was a good film. I enjoyed it. Uh, I still don't think, uh, I mean, it's his follow-up to Catch Me If You Can, which I still think Catch Me If You Can is one of 
Spielberg's strongest with um Tom Hanks. Even I mean, obviously Saving Private Ryan is the best one, but um that kind of that kind of like happy sad film. Mm, uh, yeah. Saving Private Ryan's way too sad to be considered a happy sad film, but um uh I'd I'd say that this is one of those like happy sad films, but I still think Catch Me If You Can is better. Also, DiCaprio's in it, so that's a, that's, that's a, that's a, plus. a, that's a that's plus. Definitely a plus. I just. I don't know. I couldn't get over Tom Hanks doing the accent. I just just couldn't do it. Just couldn't do it. Sorry. I mean, Tom Hanks is great, but like, yeah, I prefer Tom Hanks with his normal voice. Mm, mm, mm. That's my review on the terminal. Yeah. And I guess that's the only way you're getting on terminals during uh, the COVID situation. So I guess that's super exciting. We are all missing airports. So uh, yeah. Yeah. True. Great film. But I think this is right. It's a romantic comedy. So it's it's interesting because that's not really something that Spielberg like does a lot <laughs> romantic comedies. It yeah, feels true. a little bit out of the blue in a sense of for the usual stuff that he does. But I mean, if he likes to change it up, it's a decent film. I think we gave it the same rating, like a three out of five stars. Yeah. So uh yeah, I think it's still like entertaining to watch, but uh definitely that accent is super weird. <laughs> <laughs> even for someone who doesn't really know um the difference between like accents that some actors do but i guess that already wraps it, wraps it up for what you've been watching that's me baby cool well, i'll get into the stuff that um i've been watching and um i guess i already knew that it's going to be just one for for you so i prepared and maybe i have a little bit more uh than you do um so i i went to a horror night um at a cinema local cinema here um it was actually like partially organized for from uh, one of my professors he reached out to the like cinema and then got it made it's, it's similar to what um tarantino does at his cinema um he does like i think 10 or 12 hour nights uh, where they just like play movie after movie horror films that is and you don't know what's coming so uh i got tickets for me and my little brother and uh it started at 11 p.m and ended on seven in the morning and it was really exciting because we went to watch a couple of horror films and we had no idea what was coming and um, we ended up seeing uh wreck uh opera the texas chainsaw massacre and one cut yeah. of the dead so that was ah, super that's a good one as well i like those last two yeah the, the last two were the only ones that i've already seen and Funnily enough, once the credits rolled for Wreck, uh, was the moment I realized that I just watched Wreck. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that it was like um, a, a Spanish film at all, and I was like, "Hold on, this is this is some found footage shit. Uh, it has to be uh, something that is kind of popular if it pops up here." I mean, I'm not a big fan of found footage films, but I think in the genre. This is probably uh, one of the most competent ones. Although, like, there's a whole lot of screaming. Just people screaming at each other. And, like, not, like, damn, it gets hysterical. It's uh, it, it's uh, it's an intense film, but um, it's also silly at points just because you can see the tropes coming. You can see scares coming. But still, if you're into found footage films, I think this is probably the best, if not one of the best. And uh, opera, <laughs> opera was one that like, what the fuck did I just, I just watch? It was an Italian horror film from uh, Dario Argento, who also is probably best known for Suspiria, not the remake, but the original from 1977, a, a movie I watched uh, about a year ago and um, for last year's Halloween and was surprised by like the state of horror that it was pre-80s, I guess. I'm pretty sure this is the, the Italian guy who's like the big Italian horror director who like exploded during the 80s 
Yeah, uh, yeah, or that like, is at least that late, guy, exactly, late seventies, eighties. Yeah. yeah, is that the guy? All right, cool. That is that's the, the only guy. way I know him. I know his films. I've never seen any of them though. Um, they're definitely like they're focusing on how they uh like showcase the kills in the most exciting way, even in Suspiria. Right. So it feels really disconnected from any kind of empathy that you could have towards characters, although they aren't like completely unlikable. So it feels kind of weird because it, it feels like it's a voyeuristic view into just people being massacred and killed. <laughs> mm. it, but I guess that's just a slasher genre. So um, yeah, it, there's some there's some weird voyeuristic tones in this um, because the like the lead character has uh, like keeps witnessing deaths because the killer uh, basically comes in, ties her up, and then puts like needles under her. Her eyelids, so she couldn't, she can't close her eyes, oh, and then gosh. she kills the people, and then then he kills the like his his victims. Um, it's really weird. I I I can't say that I liked it a lot just because it's like for me it was almost on the saw level of like torture, porn horror, and uh, yeah, no, it wasn't big on it, but I think it's it's definitely like from the from a cinematography standpoint, it was super exciting to to watch. And then the next one, next movie in the lineup was the what they called <laughs> the Big Meal Burger King um american classic that we got to see because like when they introduced the movies at the beginning they, they wouldn't tell us what they were and they said like i don't know they, they compared it with um a four course meal yeah. and that was the big mac i guess so yeah texas chainsaw massacre from um Tobe hooper who also did uh poltergeist and then the sequel for texas chainsaw massacre um this is this is a, a, a horror classic. Have you have you seen um have you seen it? Yeah, no, 100% I've seen it. One of my one of my favorite horror films actually. Yeah, it's I don't know, it's it's hard to say why for me. I think it's just because it it just is what it is. It doesn't try to be anything different than what it is. It just simply is a a, a horror slasher film with silly characters and <laughs> a really weird killer and then for the low budget that it's made for, I think it, it was made for like $35,000 or something crazy like Cut, that. Yeah, Maybe it was a couple tens of thousand dollars, yeah. Yeah, basically like nothing for a movie budget. And um, yeah, I think this is what kind of pushed modern um, horror films to where they are, to like to what they are today. Um, well, I guess, no, uh, you can't really say it like that because it, it, it has constantly evolved. But without ten- Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I think we wouldn't have gotten such a like huge wave of slashers dominating mm. the 80s. So uh, definitely a, a classic and that ending shot is uh, is one for the ages. <laughs> iconic, iconic shot. I think for me personally, I think it's one of those, I don't like like the, as you called it before, the sword torture, torture film kind of movies, which yeah. I could see this coming into the, the gory section of it. But not as gory as so obviously, but yeah. I I prefer the psychological horror kind of films. So with this film being gore, I never thought I'd enjoy it, but just so beautiful, right? It's just the shots on a low budget like this, uh, especially the sunrise coming to the, uh, you know, yeah, it's so well of the done. Film. Yeah. It's just oh far out. It's like so well done, so smart. We start late afternoon and then we end like in the morning. It's it's such a clever way of of using. Um, what's available to you because like you don't need really artificial lights uh if you're not mostly shooting outdoors and you're kind of saying oh we're going for a realistic looking film like it's not i don't know it feels like you're really in there (laughs) 
Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, yeah, it's so. I especially love. I guess slight spoilers for that, but I especially love um, the the moment where I guess our final girl girl gets chased by him in the chaser, and they just keep going. It's like a 10 minute scene. What it feels it's, like. It's, it's just like him crushed. running after her. <laughs> uh, yeah, super enjoyable. And then the next one, uh, One Cut of the Dead, you also have seen that one, right? Yeah, I saw it yonks ago, the Korean zombie flick. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, is it, wait, wait, it's a Korean or Japanese? Hold on, let me check. Sorry, I think it's Japanese, Japanese. Yeah, the the Japanese, yeah, uh, horror film that, I think a lot horror of people. Horror comedy. It's, it is a horror comedy. Uh, and I think this is an interesting film just in, in general that the, the way you get into it, uh, I noticed in the cinema uh, that, like, I'd say other than, like, five people, the rest have not seen the film before. So when it started, uh, people, like, kind of, you could you could feel, like, people getting annoyed uh, with certain bits, right? Yeah. And then how well it tied back together. I had, like, one guy, there was one guy, I don't know, This these anecdotes from people in cinemas are so rare nowadays that I kind of yeah. cherish them. Um, it was this one guy who had like a, a self-made like mask, COVID mask that basically looked like it was taken straight out of Mad Max. <laughs> like oh, yeah. It had tubes yeah. and shit coming out of it. And Jesus that guy God. just like kept laughing in a hysterical way. And he had like this deep, somber laugh. And it was just yeah. like it set the atmosphere perfectly for this film. And uh, I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it. But um, it it really comes back. It really ties back together uh, in a such a satisfying way in the last thirty minutes of the film. And I think it's it's one of my favorite horror films, to be honest. I I think as well for anyone who has seen it. If you go onto the IMDb trivia page, there's some decent ones, some decent trivia in there. It's only a small trivia page. There are films that have large trivia pages, but I know, for instance. One of them is about the blood splash on the camera and the hand wiping mm -hmm. it off. That's actually a real thing and wasn't done in post. And <laughs> I was like, that's a cool little trivia, which you could probably think, oh, yeah, that's not in post, but it's not. There's a couple few things in there, like the fact it was shot in like a week in like seven days. So I'd, uh, I'd, uh, anyone who ever wants to know more about a film, jump on the IMDb trivia part. It, it, they got some good shit in there. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, this this might even be a contender for a role that again uh, at some point, just because I think it, it is a lot to to dive deep into this. Maybe maybe next year, maybe we'll do like a whole Halloween um, special month with um, horror films. Uh, but yeah, uh, let's move on to a series that I watched, Lovecraft County, oh. based on the books from H.P. Lovecraft, uh, starring Journey Smollett and Jonathan Majors, and I'm. Dude, uh, Jonathan Majors hasn't acted in like a lot yet, but I'm already a huge fan. Uh, recently, I've been listening to uh, the Last Black Man in San Francisco soundtrack, and I absolutely adore it. That movie is beautiful. I think if I would re-rank 2019, that movie would even rank higher than it did. I think it, it was somewhere in my top 15. And uh, he, he's, he's great in it. Everyone's great in it. And um, basically, they do different Lovecraft stories kind of every week. So it's it's mm. kind of a monster of the week kind of deal. But it's set in it's uh, set in the 1960s. So there's a lot of like racial uh, tension that's going on. But they also sometimes like travel 
around um in different realities in a sense like uh, and uh it ties back into the war and every week there's like something different that they do with it it's like super creative that way i don't think for a narrative narrative it's the best and for the characters just because i f- it feels like they're jumping around a lot but yeah holy shit isn't is it one entertaining show <laughs> uh and yeah and it's like basically all black cast so that's also something uh to look out for and to support um also super entertaining so go check out lovecraft country country uh if you have not yet it's on hbo max and then i watched um the producers for one of my uni classes that's a comedy from the (laughs) mid 60s um starring the charlotte and charlie and the chocolate factory uh, actor uh, Gene Wilder. Uh, no, it's wait, not not Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Hold on, how could I mess this up? I, I'm not talking about the remake. Oh, the terrible, terrible remake. No, uh, Willy Wonka and Chocolate Factory. Um, this is like a satire on on I guess Nazis, and uh, it 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 doesn't try to walk a fine line. It just fucking crosses it all the time. <laughs> and it, it's sometimes it's really funny to see, but uh, yeah, uh, I guess for a lot of people who have not heard of the film, it's about a Broadway producer who's in debt and um, a tax collector. They kind of team up in a sense because they realize that by making um a play or musical flop but collecting heaps of money to produce it they can basically make a lot of money because they don't have to pay back their investors right if it just fails so they try to put on like the worst musical possible and go to um a a nazi refugee who has written a play and try to produce this pro-nazi play (laughs) and um yeah uh and it just goes from there it's uh, it, it can be funny but it's also like i don't know it's uh has some um transphobic and homophobic jokes in there that just don't really fly by anymore but uh if you see that as a product of its time i think it's a really well done movie have you heard of the producers lachlan uh no this is my first time hearing about it it's the director mel brooks of Spaceballs and blazing saddles oh. and young frankenstein robin hood men in tights uh yeah those kinds of movies oh no no no. actually no hang on hang on hang on i have seen the dvd cover because at work we've got a dvd section and i have walked past this a number of times oh the producers that is yes oh okay i've seen gene wilder's face on the front and yeah no no i i just googled it and i saw the the poster of it and i've seen this dvd at work well that's cool uh yeah maybe check it out i i I mean i I should pick it up uh yeah i guess maybe just rent it you don't have to buy it you know i can't rent it oh you can't um i have to i have to buy it yeah no i guess that sounds like a you problem oh (laughs) you you fucking didn't did you oh jesus christ (laughs) thanks Uh, anyways i don't know i'm not really big on i'm not a big comedy guy i don't really watch a lot of comedies and I think you would enjoy this. It's over the top. Right. It's kind of the over the top humor that, that right. I think you Perfect. enjoy. But I also watched Mank, which uh, we're not talking about today. I was able to um, see that a bit early. That comes out on December 4th on Netflix. And we'll have an episode ready probably on the day that it comes out. So be on the lookout for that. As well as by the time this recording goes up, there should be a full on um, spoiler free review on um, our website. But yeah, Mank was great. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. Um, it. Didn't blow me away though, but 
definitely uh, like great performances and everything. But I don't want to say anything else because most people have not seen it by the time they're listening to this, including Lachlan. <laughs> um, then I also watched Singing in the Rain, which is just a lot of fun, man. It's just a lot of fun. Have you seen Singing in the Rain, Lachlan? Uh, I have not, unfortunately. Um, yeah, this is a classic from 1952, uh, set in the late 20s Hollywood, kind of transitioning from um, from silent films to talkies. And uh, basically, there's a plot of like one actress who doesn't really have the best voice to transition over to talking pictures. And there's this other girl who's good at it. And that's the love interest of, uh, of our main guy, uh, John uh, Gene Kelly. And um, yeah, lots of singing and dancing and uh, flips are being performed nonstop. Uh, it's a high energy, um, like, I don't know, high energy comfort movie, I'd say. And it was recommended to me on uh, one of those film raffles that I participate in on um, a Discord server, uh, on the Letterbox Discord server, actually. And uh, yeah, this was a lot of fun. So I encourage everyone to go check that out. Um, I guess for most people, it would be available on Amazon. But um, yeah, you still got that HBO Max <laughs> subscription <laughs> through my VPN. So I'm kind of using that at the moment. And then finally, I watched Totally Under Control, which is great uh, to talk about now because it's a documentary about how the Trump administration handled the coronavirus. Um, it's great to, by the time of this recording, we're only getting 77 days of that fucking huge mess. Uh, and then maybe it will be a slightly smaller mess, but still a fucking huge mess. But yeah, totally under control. I, I suggest checking it out if you want to just like cringe at uh, how the US handled uh, the COVID outbreak, but it's also kind of tragic if you look at it, but definitely a, a well done solid documentary. Okay, so <laughs> that brings us to the end of what we've been watching. That was a lot. Uh, so let's get into our Dennis Villeneuve ranking. films that you've seen everything but uh incendies how do you pronounce it i can't remember how to pronounce um, it Incend- I, can't, I think I can't it's it incendie uh but my french is also terrible so yeah I know, it's a, a french it's that french one um it's polytechnic and i guess uh, maelstrom is also a full feature that he did but i think that's Okay, yeah. oh, okay. Well, I guess it depends what we're considering. Uh, if we're going by IMDb, I've seen everything but Polytechnic and Incendies. Mm, okay, wait. Okay, well, interesting. I have not seen Enemy, Incendie, and Polytechnic. Um, yeah. I've only seen, now realizing, only seen four of his films. <laughs> but it's crazy. Yeah. It feels like I've seen so much more. Well, I mean, I mean, he hasn't really put out a crazy amount of big features. Yeah, it's it's mainly been, um, I guess, really different as well from movie to movie. Yeah. It doesn't seem to be like resting on um, one particular genre that he really enjoys. So if you yeah. would have to rank the five films, five films? Yeah, the five films that you've seen from him, uh, from, I guess, worst to best, which for, for him, it wouldn't be, I think, worst to best. It would just like, be good to My least really, favorite really to favorite. <laughs> yeah, so least favorite my favorite. least favorite would be Arrival. Mm-hmm. Then actually, you know what? No, no, sorry. Enemy, Arrival, Sicario, Prisoners, Blade Runner, twenty forty nine. Interesting. I go. I go pretty similar for me. I guess it's only uh, without Enemy. I haven't seen it yet. Although I'm a huge Jake uh, Gyllenhaal fan, so 
I'm looking forward to checking that one out. I'd probably go with Sicario, still a really solid film, um, uh, but I guess it ranks lowest uh, compared to these other three. Then it's really hard to go between Arrival and Prisoners, but I do think I'd give the edge to Prisoners and then um, Blade Runner on the number one spot for me as well. But I do have to say that Arrival, I think, is... I don't know if it's underrated, but it's definitely uh, a great film. Arrival, oh yeah, I don't vibe with Arrival. Oh, interesting. I mean, I read the short story and I quite enjoyed that. So I think Villeneuve is really good at adapting screenplays. That's why I'm really excited to see Dune. I guess one year from now. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, uh, I I actually recently picked up the the like first three books out of the six book. Um, I wanted to say out of the six book trilogy, but that doesn't make any sense. But yeah, I no, be- picked not. up the first trilogy, I guess, and um, I read like one page, and then I fell asleep. So I can't wait to I guess, do that for the next thousand days because it's a long ass book. But yeah. And Prisoners, I think that is one of the films that actually got me into like filmmaking and, and film in general. I mm. can't remember when I watched it. I'm pretty sure that I did not see this in cinemas or I'm not entirely sure because it came out like seven years ago. Yeah. Um, no, I think I actually saw this in cinemas and I remember being blown away by it and a lot of people around me in my circle were like, like I watched it with a couple of friends if I remember correctly and they were mostly like oh I don't know it's super dark it wasn't that interesting it's just like so much drama and I was like oh holy shit that was so great <laughs> and for a while I wasn't sure if this was actually a great film and kind of kept it to myself and then when Blade yeah. Runner came out I was like yeah nah this is this is like super solid it's uh, it, it's one of the best thrillers that I've ever seen um and I'm, I'm glad I can say that now and I guess overall, Denis Villeneuve is one of my favorite filmmakers uh, working today. So I'm, I'm really excited to whatever he does next. Yeah, I guess that brings us to the movie he, I guess, most recently released. Was it? No, yeah. No, yes. Yes, it was. It was after Rival. So I wasn't sure. He most recently released uh, Blade Runner 2049, the sequel to Ridley Scott's Blade Runner and I think there couldn't have been a better person to adapt this. And uh, I guess a lot of people agree with that sentiment because on Letterboxd it has a ri- high rating of 4.1. On INB it's an average of an 8. On Metacritic, on Metacritic from the critics it's an 81. And from the users it's an 8.3. So general consensus that this is a great film. Maybe not the masterpiece and uh, one of the best films of all time that I guess Lachlan and I would attribute to it, but uh, definitely a film you should check out if you are in the slightest just into film. And Mm. um, I guess just a big warning from here, if you haven't noticed yet, this will be a spoiler review. Heaps of spoilers will go through pretty much everything there is, so uh, make sure to set three hours aside and, and go watch the film. And uh, I guess if you haven't seen the first one and also do that, <laughs> it helps you out a lot to Definitely. contextualize this whole world. But um, Lachlan, could you give us a synopsis of Blade Runner 2049? A synopsis? Oh, fuck. Cool. So we start off by meeting uh, Ryan Gosling, a.k.a. K, a.k.a. also known as The Driver, who is asleep at the wheel. So not really The Driver because Driver wouldn't actually <laughs> sleep at the wheel. Um, all of a sudden he's introduced to gummy worms from Dave Batista, otherwise known as, uh, Drax, the destroyer of worlds. Um, he ends up wrecking Drax in the ass, throws him through the wall, a nice nod to the original and finds a body underneath the tree. Oh wow. A tree. That's so cool. 
then they discover there's a body underneath the tree. Tree ends up the body ends up being Rachel, and then turns out Rachel from the original film had a baby. Um, but we don't know what this baby's gender is, so it's like, ooh, I mean, well, do they even have gender in 2049? Now I'm really confused because maybe I shouldn't say gender. All right, we don't know what uh, uh, we we don't know what the baby is. It could be anything. It could be a fucking horse for all we know. Speaking of horses, Kay finds a, uh, a, a a wooden horse, but we're going really far into the film now. If we jump back to when they discovered there was a, a woman's body, um, there's Coco, who's a little simp bitch boy, who is also the kind of like the pedophile guy in Prisoners, um, but I kind of like him being called Coco, so now I think that that is um, uh, uh, canon in Prisoners, so technically the pedophile guy that killed himself in Prisoners is called Coco now. <laughs> so, like, what happens is Kay ends up trying to find, like, who the body was. Rachel goes up to the HQ and meets Love, who's also a replicant, and, oh, fuck me, that lighting was sick. Um, and then what ends up happening was uh, a bad guy, fight, fight. Um, uh, the Joker, a.k.a. Jared Leto does a bit of touchy feely. That's why I got the R rated, uh, R rated uh, rating. And um, Indiana Jones appears in um, in a irradiated Las Vegas, and somehow he survive. See, he's, he's surviving the radiation. Mm-hmm. And there's a dog, and there's bees, and now and then Love ends up kidnapping Indiana Jones, and then Indiana Jones ends up meeting his old wife, and then his old wife is shot. And then um, there's no Roy Batty in this film, so I'd be quite sad. Uh, and Lots then what happens is. Yeah. And then what ends up happening is uh, they fly off and Indiana Jones is rescued by the driver and then the driver meets his daughter. There's too much. Bro, this is a three-hour film. I can't compress it down. <laughs> yeah, I'm realizing really the missing part. I, j- I just realized it didn't set up the daughter. I, I expect someone down the line to ask, like, does does Lachlan write these down or just fully improv? <laughs> no, nah, they're fully improv. <laughs> so... I guess to get into the film, I'll read us all the summary and then we'll go through the film kind of scene by scene. And um, after that, we'll... Not not every scene because it's like a three-hour movie that will take literally hours, but we talk about the most poignant and the most important scenes and then we'll talk about like the rest of the film. I guess everything surrounding it. Um, but for the synopsis, we got... 30 years after the event of the first film, a new Blade Runner, LAPD Officer K, unearths a long-buried secret that has the potential to plunge what's left of society into chaos. K's discovery leads him on a quest to find Rick Deckard, a former LAPD Blade Runner who has been missing for 30 years. Uh, so yeah, let's let's start off the way that the movie starts off as well with the introduction of K, the chiseling Ryan Gosling, in a scene that... Now, actually, a little bit of trivia right from the get-go. Um, there, there was this scene that Ridley Scott had written as the introduction of his uh, for his Blade Runner film, um, which was basically like the scene that they did with Ryan Gosling and uh, Dave Bautista. So this was kind of a scene that he took from the from the old movie uh, as to introduce the Blade Runner. But I guess Ridley Scott went with kind of the more retired uh, intro to retired retired not retired in a sense that he's about to get killed because he's a replicant but retired as a blade runner for Harrison Ford but uh yeah in this we get the opening um <laughs> we get Ryan Gosling as K taking out a replicant um the huge Dave Bautista man they they I don't know the, what were they what were they thinking making uh, a replicant of that size holy fuck he's bro, so big when when Ryan Gosling shoots Dave Bautista the thud vibrated my room so hard with the with the, with my sub like the thud was so heavy it was fell. yeah I I, I remember that sound um 
it's 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 impressive to fight as well is is really well choreographed and yeah i guess what we can say already and we'll probably repeat a hundred times uh when talking about the rest of the film is that the cinematography is so absolutely stunning oh my god mm. it's um I, I will get into it i guess maybe after we went through the, the movie scene by scene but um yeah just to already say that i think it's it's one of the best shot films like ever i enjoy it so much we get this um standoff between um these two replicants because our blade runner this time is a replicant himself and he's kind of this really modern version of the replicant he's not that old he hasn't lived through i guess the tyrell uh times he's he's i was manufactured by um the wallace corporation who took over Tyrell we get uh at the intro of the film we get kind of a few uh, few lines of text that just introduces us to the world and when I rewatched this I was I was thinking about like okay I think this movie works even if you haven't seen the original it does uh, but it up does until I think up until the point when Decker comes in I think then you would be kind of uh maybe a little bit thrown out of it and would maybe not know where you are at at, at like a certain uh, like where you are at emotionally and the context to like that character but i think it still works even if you haven't seen it i think um so i often talk about when i when i talk about this film the how that i think it's a perfect sequel i think that if i look, think of other sequels like a, a, like decent sequels they are always a bit weaker than the original mm-hmm. um but with 2049 i i true wholeheartedly believe that with a good sequel that for example, takes not only 30 years, is set 30 years in the future, but also is made almost 30 years later, that I think a good sequel should not only be able to support its own story by itself without relying on the original, but also take an extra level of depth from the original. And that's what you get if you have seen the original Blade Runner. When you watch this film by itself and have no idea what happened in the original story, it, it, it still holds up. Even when you do reveal Decker, uh, Decker, um, it's not like it's like, oh yeah, it's 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 Decker, but you go, oh, this must be the guy he's looking for. But you know, you don't really need to know the story of him and Rachel in the original one, um, because I still think the story in the, the original Blade Runner is a bit too complicated for people to follow through with the sequel. Wait, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah, no. So yeah, yeah, look, I think I think as a sequel because it holds its own, it holds itself up um, as its own story. But if you have seen the original. It gives you that extra extra layer of depth, which you wouldn't you wouldn't have if you haven't seen it. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's also like great the like openness that it, like how it approaches. Like this time, our protagonist is a replicant. There's no question about it. Yeah, that that is a really fun part about it. And I think then it kind of explores how like a, this modern being who has accepted that he is a replicant. He has accepted that his memories are fabricated. He's all like aware of it which is something like i don't know i think that kind of is a mirror to how how we are like we are aware of like the shit that happens around us right maybe more than uh people were uh 30 years ago um yeah i don't i don't know if i'm reading too much into i guess that kind of analogy but it just kind of resonated for me it was like hey this is kind of similar even though it's it's not at all <laughs> i think uh what you said about the the replicants being human characters I think it's funny that they're pretty much more human than what the humans are in this world. Mm-hmm. Like uh, we consider ourselves to be empathetic, but to, 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 to 
every creature, I guess, we try to put the we try to create empathy for every creature on this planet. And I mean, good example is if you're vegan, you see the empathy for animals, right? Yeah. So isn't it funny that humans don't have any empathy for replicants? Like it just for some reason, every human just sees them as slaves, and it's like, oh yeah, that's disgusting. Every single human, except for Deckard. Exactly, and. Um, in that world, we also like don't really n see how people get to differentiate between replicants and humans. Like, uh, I think they only just know that by I, I don't know social standings that yeah. what they are. Because like everyone kind of seems to know um who a replicant is on or not. I think with they they touch on it as well that Tyrell's replicants were way more distinguishable. I don't think I I don't think there's this glimmer in their eyes anymore. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it, it's different. And, um, they were more human than human, so it was pretty hard to tell the differences. Well, at least that's what exactly, their motto yeah. was, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that that was their motto. So it, it's it's um it's interesting to look at something that's like it's so close to where you can tell if something is, I guess, in a sense, fake or not, or I guess, different or not. Then what makes it different? And I think that kind of question of, of a soul or what makes someone have a soul is 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 also like an interesting subject that mm. again like with the original it's just kind of in there it's not like in your face discussed like yeah replicants have souls as well <laughs> it's like you, you you get it through the action this is such yeah. a i think I, I couldn't think of a more visual film although there's a lot of like conversations and everything but there's so much context to the whole world that is established just through the visuals so i guess uh to get back to the to the scene when he tries to arrest the farmer but then he resists he ends up uh shooting in and then fought and uh just before that happens the farmer says um he, he doesn't understand him just because he hasn't seen a miracle before and mm. uh, the way that that ties back in is, is such in such a like a, like a circular way is I like it a lot. I like it a lot. How, how do you feel about... Um... Um, what I think would be interesting to talk about real quick uh, as an overall... As we are both very uh, heavily camera-oriented people, mm -hmm. we really we really like our cameras. Um, we do. Personally, I've, I never really gave a shit about lighting for some reason, well, like in my early days of film. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I still am in my early days of film, but... <laughs> I used to not give a shit about lighting. I was like, oh, lighting doesn't really fucking matter. Um, oh, boy, was I wrong when I watched this film. Like, <laughs> yeah, Jesus Christ, this was the film that made me go, all right, lighting fucking matters. Um, I think a lot of the contrast between the background usually being very bright and a very dim foreground or having a lot of the actors have, I guess, a shadow effect on the scene um, mm. or at least – God damn, every time you have a reveal character, it's like they're walking down a hallway and the hallway's dark and then it just reveals them with an overhead lighting shot. I mean, obviously we need to talk about the the reason why this film is shot so fucking well is it's actually made by God himself. I'm sorry, did I say God? Um, <laughs> what I meant was uh, Roger Deakins. Um, yeah. Roger Deakins is the cinematographer of this film. And if you don't know who Roger Deakins is, um, here's, just a, here's just a brief list of his work. The 19, <laughs> 1917, Blade Runner 2049, Hail Caesar, Sicario, uh, Unbroken, Prisoners, Skyfall, Rango, uh, True Grit, uh, The Assassination of Jesse James by the 
Coward, Robert Ford, uh, No Country for Old Men, uh, Jarhead. Uh, what's another one? Oh, uh, oh, Brother, Where Are Thou? Um, the Big Lebowski. This man, uh, here's, a, here's a good one, uh, The Shawshank Redemption. Um, oh, yeah, another good one. Frank uh, So pretty much every film that has been made by the Coen brothers <laughs> um, or the majority of uh, Denis Villeneuve films have been shot by this man, um, mm. which is why I think, oh, God, they are just, some of those films are just really, really beautiful to watch. Yeah. This, the first time when I was watching Prisoners seven years ago is when I noticed cinematography. Yeah. Because, like, that film is so well shot, but it's a thriller. Like, you, you only expect that maybe... The other time I noticed that was with uh, Shutter Island and, like, Scorsese, the way that he maybe framed his people around in thrillers. And, yeah. Um, yeah, incredible. I, I do want to shout out his podcast. It's uh, something oh, that I really enjoy. Well. And there's a episode with the, the Coen brothers. There's an episode with Dennis Villeneuve. There's an episode um, with, uh, what's his name? Um, the director of 1917. There's also Sam Mendes. Sam Mendes, exactly. So there's a lot of stuff to dive e- d- uh, deep into. And I think they on the Dennis Villeneuve episode, they talked about um, they talked about uh, prisoners, and but also uh, this film and how much they ended up using silhouettes to just kind of, because it, like usually he tries to do do lighting uh, i guess as natural and as noticeable yeah. as possible but still like focusing on the effect that it's trying to come across like the mood is is, is something he's he's really focused on and mm. um with a lot of times like he, he talks a lot about in his podcast he talks about that a lot in his podcast that the more lights you can take away from the scene and still making it work it's kind of the better like that's 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 even more impressive if you can make it work with with less lighting yeah and i'm i i'm so grateful for uh like a film i guess that didn't go as mainstream as i hope it would have um but that going kind of dark when it when it is dark uh not being concerned about having the the actors faces perfectly lit at all times like most of them are most of the times there's in, in some kind of shadow and uh, yeah. it just makes for beautiful visuals, uh, which is perfect Be- for our podcast. Visuals. The visuals, beautiful the visuals. visuals, is what we enjoy most. Visuals, baby. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that was our brief and um, ever repeating love letter to Roger Deakins. Uh, what a man! What a man! I hope he racks up even more Oscars. He deserves them all. I, I would, I would to- be a cook, okay, if they like they get rid of another category and they just introduce a Roger Deakins appreciation category and mm. it just gets one every year. That would be fine mm. with me. <laughs> I just want Roger Deakins to take a portrait of me. That's all I want. Ooh, that sounds like, that sounds like, yeah, no, I can't you know even how you've got speak like, anymore. You know how you've got like your, good. you know how like if you ever want to make a movie, you've got your like dream team. My mm. cinematographer is always going to be Roger Deakins. Like always going to be Roger Deakins. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Like there's, there's, there's very no few cinematographers out there that have made a big impact and, just the fact that I know their name, Roger D, like, and also know their name. Like, there's very few. Um, I mean, obviously, directors are a big one, but I mean, no one knows the fucking the gaffer, yeah. the name of the gaffer, right? Um, I, I guess most mainstream people don't really know the cinematographer, but I guess when you've made such a big impact on the industry, like Roger Deakins has, I guess, I mean, surely you got to yeah. be. Thank you for color correction, Roger Deakins. Yes, yes, thank you. <laughs> Single-handedly introduced that. So thank you to the Adobe products that he could use that he kind of 
not that he's behind that, but like without that, ooh, he pushed it. He pushed like filmmaking a, a lot. Yeah. At least on the visual side. Um, but yeah, man of the hour of uh, again and again. I hope he does uh, many more films. And uh, he racked up another Oscar for 1917. Definitely yeah. deserved the best part of the whole film. Uh, to me, was definitely like the cinematography in there. Um, but yeah, I guess let's let's move on to to another scene. The introduction of another character, Anna uh, de Almas as Joy, who is kind of this um, stationary character, at least for uh, this part of the the movie, where she's. Um, I guess I don't know how how is she introduced, Lachlan? Um, well, it's kept kind of very uh, off to the side. It's like, oh, he has a partner because you don't see her for a second. You hear her voice and it sounds like she's cooking, which is like, oh, okay, cool. And then obviously there's a shot with an empty kitchen and her hologram appears. And I think it's a really nice way of introducing her because it, it, it's almost like a, a third level of inception. It's it's So there's human conscience, consciousness and then there's the replicant consciousness and now there's joy because joy clearly has a consciousness as well. So mm-hmm. I think joy is one of my favorite characters in this film, not only because it's played by uh, uh, Anna D. Armas. I think I, I butcher her name every time. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. But no, she's phenomenal. Um, again, phenomenal cast, but uh, yeah, joy is a, I guess, joy to have on screen because it's essentially <laughs> Kay's portable lover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of the relationship he seeks, although he he knows that she's not a, like a real person and yeah. he, he kind of seeks that out over, I guess, actual uh, physical, um, over a physical like person being there. But I guess like, yeah. I think the relationship between Joy and Kay is really funny because it's like, they're both not real people. So does it like, does it count? Are they, is their love real? Like what they feel for, what he feels for her and what she feels for him clearly? Like, is she programmed to feel that way? Clearly mm-hmm. he's not, but is he? Like, it, there's so many questions that are raised from that one relationship. Um, you know, it's, 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 like, it's like, fuck. Yeah, I guess for most, for the, like the bigger part of the film, I guess she's kind of this psychic on the side. And um, once we get uh, to the ending, um, where he's like walking through the streets and there's this like big ad of her holographic ad that kind of leans down and say, oh, you look lonely. Mm. It adds a whole layer of like sadness and true loneliness when you contextualize it. It's like, oh, yeah. does like every other person have like joy in their home? Yeah. And does that take away from their relationship? It's like, uh, there's, there's like a movie who explores... This whole dynamic, um, her, which is one of my favorites of all time as well, with Joaquin Phoenix and Scarlett Johansson, I guess goes even more in depth with that relationship a person has with an artificial intelligence. But here it's also, we have an artificial intelligence that I get, I guess, visualizes into a holographic person, um, but also like a a replicant who's not a person himself. So what's that kind of relationship like? Just exploring that whole, these types of relationships, it, it was super interesting. And I mean, yeah. it doesn't hurt that Anna de Armas is super charming <laughs> Yeah, in a role. It just, it, it makes it really hard for for you to not care about them. And um, I don't know, just because something is artificial, you don't have to treat it like shit anyways, which is kind of something that they do in that society. Uh, mm. But there comes a whole other layer when, um, Kay is ordered back to uh, when, when he discovers when he leaves he discovers this box and um, a flower 
And it turns out that there was a child in there and that child, oh, no, no, wait, no, there wasn't a child in there. Uh, there was, it was uh, Rachel's body. Exactly. Rachel's body was in there. So a replicant's body was in there and um, they found out that she didn't die from anyone killing her or like her shutting down, but actually from childbirth. So now this whole other layer comes in, like, and, and, and they touch on on it later when um, uh, they talk about like having a soul, and uh, his his uh, the, the, his boss, she says that uh, yeah, you don't have to be concerned, like you you got by without having a soul yourself. So um, I guess go shank that soulless baby, that replicant baby. Yeah, you have to do it. Dark. And you can truly see that these human characters, they do not have the slightest empathy for replicants. They're just concerned about themselves, uh, about like what that would implicate if like replicants would be able to reproduce. Then wouldn't the creation of life implicate that there is a soul in that living being because it is mm. born? I, I love that. I love that. It, it's simple, you know, but it works. Exactly. But yeah, that's just that's just uh, the whole movie for me. It's like it's not big ideologies that are thrown at your head, but they're just kind of sliced and spiced in there, and it's part of the narrative. And the narrative isn't convoluted. It's it's like if you sum it up, it's just basically like him killing uh, killing a replicant, discovering that replicants are able to give birth. Then on he's on the quest to find that child. He finds that child, but doesn't know it. He believes. Uh, himself to be the child then meets his uh, b- uh the father that he believes to be his father realizes that is not his father and then drops him off um where his actual daughter is and that's the whole plot of the movie that is pretty much the whole plot of the film yeah and that's that's pretty much all it, it happens but um then again you get this whole world that it's uh, that's surrounding it and all the visuals and um uh great yeah, characters yeah centered around that and, and at the core it's it's a it's a it's a movie about self-discovery for a replicant protagonist yeah find, finding his his foot in the world what do you what do you think about the, the ads like can you can you see a world in the future where uh it, it looks kind of similar to that um well definitely i mean have you not been to middle of the city and there's like all these big screens i mean i know we've got a big screen now that does ads i've been to new york i've seen times square um mm-hmm. i've been to japan and i definitely know japan has similar looking um things obviously i think a really interesting part of the original blade runner was the mashup of western and eastern culture mm-hmm. um yeah you know it, it, it was a, a kind of like a culture shock i guess but then so it's in, in, in saying that as well the opening of blade runner 2049 is this sort of open landscape it's not dark it's gray it's overcast but it's not you know a concrete jungle or a metal jungle it's it's open space and Mm -hmm. i think that was a big shock when i first watched this i was like this is not blade runner this is not the city and then after that scene with uh dave batista's character you end up going off to the city and it slowly but surely becomes darker and darker and then you do kind of like a right turn into the into LA and there's there's the city and you go ah that's the Blade Runner I know and and it, and it brings you into the world because I think one of the issues why well, not one of the issues with the original Blade Runner at least for mainstream audiences was that it was so weird like it was a weird film like there wasn't a lot of cyberpunky kind of films so I think with this one they ease you into the uh into the world a little bit which is quite nice 
Um, but I don't think the world is as full on as it was in original Blade Runner. I don't know. Yeah. I think the original Blade Runner has a lot of advertising everywhere, but this one ha- barely has that. You've got joy, but I mean, it's a little bit more, I think it's a little bit more sexualized in the film. At least yeah, in this film. definitely. Yeah. I mean, the, the sexual undertones were, I guess, more explored through the characters in um in the original uh i guess with the confrontation that we have with the like the replicant prostitute that deckard kills um, yeah. oh no he doesn't kill it right someone else cuz I, I can't remember <laughs> probably but um yeah that's again that's not a theme of prostitution for replicants here again uh wait hold on so one of the characters that i wasn't sure about if she is a replicant or not um is with uh what's her name uh with Mackenzie Davis Marinette yeah Marinette Marianne. yeah yeah I wasn't sure if if she is a replicant or not <laughs> by the end of it I don't I don't think she is uh well, oh, no wait no no well, she usually... is no she is sorry yeah yeah no I got confused because she's part of that group that ends up saving him wouldn't make sense if she's a human well I disagree because I I she I think she's a real girl oh you do oh okay what makes you think yeah that? Well, Joy has her come over and is like, she's a, she's a real girl. And then Kay with pretty much every other replicant is like, oh, I know you're a replicant. Even with love, he's like, ah, he named you. It must be in your favorite. But when Kay met Marinette for the first time and she's like, oh, I, you see, you don't like real girls. So to me, she's a real girl. Yeah, I guess that does make sense. Um, damn. Okay. There's still some ambiguity there because like i don't know it makes sense to me that she would be a replicant and it wouldn't matter to joy uh that she's a replicant or not to her just being um having a physicality yeah. to yourself is kind of being real but yeah oh, talk about talk about it the scene holy shit that scene where they I don't, I don't think we are there yet i think we do have a couple of other stops that we do have to take before we get there but um that like hookup scene between them is Stunning. It's stunning. Beautiful. So beautiful, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't think I have anything else to say to that. But uh, then they also <laughs> touch on they also touch on um, what happened before pre blackout. They have this event that happened shortly after shortly after the original Blade Runner, where pretty much like everything that was saved on drives was deleted. So on his kind of quest to find um, this child, uh, he stumbles across this like old driving system on uh, old, old drive system for uh at wallace the wallace corporation and he ends up listening to one of the conversations that uh deckard and um rachel had when they first met just in general how do you think like gosling plays this this character k because like there's always this blankness in his face there's not a lot to read off from well i mean i think that's part of his character he's a replicant Mm-hmm. Um, I think well one of the one of the things with the new replicants is that I guess they're not so emotive because I mean Dave Bautista's character wasn't super dramatic, so yeah, yeah no, I, I think. I, I, but wouldn't he be an older? I think wasn't Sapper Morton an older model? I that's guess, true. Yeah, I, mean, they, I, I guess you're true there. I yeah. mean, yeah, no. Look, Ryan Gosling plays the uh, the quiet tough boy so mm-hmm. look i i i love gosling i think every role he does is kind of like a, the good role for him i don't think i could see k being a talkative or at least a, a i don't know I, I don't think i could see him being like harrison ford in the original blade runner i think yeah. what he did was great i think the performance he did was was what was needed for the film yeah i agree i i love his performance in this it's like 
usually you would kind of take a performance that has like lots of emotions there and but he gives a lot in subtleties i think he's he's one of one of the greatest actors when it just comes to his eyes the the amount that he can communicate through oh that. his eyes in the scene with um uh, the the memory maker oh yeah it's, when when she's like this is real and you can see it just building up in his eyes and then or at least um uh when he goes to the i guess child slave orphanage and the page has been ripped out and he looks at it and it's that sh- it's that uh i guess low angle shot up at him and you can see him just getting really mad i think that's a better example because he holds it in it's not until he when he loses it with the memory maker obviously mm-hmm. yeah uh, it's it's such a great performance. Um, I just wanted to underline that again. Um, it, yeah, it might not be that. I guess even when it came out, it, the movie was kind of con- controversial. Not, I guess not controversial, but it audience were kind of split on it. The uh, few that saw it and uh, maybe thought it was a bit too slow. It was just like it was just moody for the sake of being moody. There wasn't really a lot there. Um, I saw a bunch of reviews when I when I looked up that criticized Gosling for his performance, and I was like. Dude, I I can couldn't disagree more with you. It's a uh, it's a great performance. Mm. Um, then we also get a quick scene with Deckard's old boss in a retirement home, and uh, we see that he's still at it with not origamis, but I guess he's still folding um animals. <laughs> yeah, that's his trait. That is his trait. That's the one thing. Yeah, that's like the audience that uh, saw Blade Runner was like, ah, ah, I know this guy. <laughs> he looks familiar. I guess let's talk about love, not love the, like love, love, but L-U-V, the character love, the replicant, um, I guess, kind of Wallace right hand, uh, right hand woman, <laughs> innocent, uh, just right hand, let's just say right hand. And, okay. <laughs> uh, I don't know, that was a confusing <laughs> sentence. But yeah, no, let's, let's talk about love. We get introduced to her when, when Kay is looking for... Uh, for the I guess certain memories or certain files of uh, some kind of clue to get closer to the child. Yeah, what what do you think about love and her character? Uh well, obviously she's the uh, antagonist, the 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 big bad guy. I guess the one that we kind of have to see K compete with. So I think as a replicant, I think she, I think her goal is always to be a human. I think she wants to be perfect. And that mm-hmm. is to become human. I think she's disgusted at what she is, which is why she isn't afraid to kill replicants, but also isn't afraid to kill humans. So I think her entire job is to probably impress her boss so that she could be improved one day to be a better replicant. Mm, interesting. That's that, that's my that's yeah. how I've always seen her. I mean, there's a scene where uh, um, where Wallace, uh, Neander Wallace, he uh, looks at this like, a new woman replicant that that he made and then uh he kills her and you can see the kind of the disgust on uh love's face and mm. once he like puts the chip in and that's another uh, an interesting technology that they have like he puts something on the side of his head and then he controls drones <laughs> super fun i can't wait when uh i can't wait for that technology to come out maybe dji uh, will have it out next year tgi <laughs> Yeah, uh, but um, she has like the visible disgust, and as soon as she knows she's being, she'll be watched. She like tries to not emote and not have that. Yeah, she freezes up. Yeah, and if like I don't know, for me that was kind of the theme of like a a woman staying with a man, even though like even though she maybe fears them and like maybe even loathes them, 
but she's still staying with him in a sense. Um, and that's just what love is, man. <laughs> that's just love, someone baby. Someone is not good for you. Uh, but then she kind of becomes a more straight up villain villain in the latter half of the movie. Uh, but yeah. And uh, soon after Kay discovers that on um, the little horse uh, that he found. Where did he find the horse? In the uh, furnace at the orphanage slash child slave camp exactly so he, he does find um a correlation there with the uh the 10th of july um yeah 2021 and uh he's kind of starting to question if he's the kid and for a brief second i <laughs> i don't know why <laughs> i thought this but i thought like oh so dave he killed his dad so he killed dave batista i was like hold on <laughs> hold on you the fuck are you thinking yeah I wasn't really putting together the clues at that moment. Um, and uh, yeah, then he's on his way to go to that child labor factory where he, I think we already got beforehand that kind of memory that he had, right? Yeah. And uh, he, I think he gets a, an ultimatum from the police chief that, because he's been doing, oh, I said later on, uh, just um, that he's not been performing well in that like test that they do. <laughs> Which like that the baseline test, seems, test? The baseline test seems super intense. So basically, that's like a PTSD test, and to see if the replicants are still performing the way they're meant to. So the baseline is basically normal, because obviously replicants see a lot of shit. They don't want their replicants to go crazy. So oh, he he arrives at that child factory, but beforehand, I think his his like ship gets shut down. Uh, shot down. Then love just missile strikes the shit out of them while she's getting a manicure. Yeah, <laughs> but it was I don't know. That someone, was I thought it was super funny. Um, just like yeah, just lay back, killing some people. Don't even give a shit. But yeah, after that, he oh the baseline tests. I think the whole thing that was after he goes to the memory. Sorry, I got that messed up for a second. But um, yeah, he, he arrives at a child labor factory and he finds the a horse in the furnace where he remembers it to be. Um, because like that's a memory that he has and he starts to question is that an actual memory that I have or was this implanted and on that quest uh, after he discovers that the whole uh, records uh, you already mentioned it were ripped out and he get this visible anger on his face he's getting more and more frustrated he goes to the memory fabrication um, center and um, meets uh, an artist there who fabricates memories and she's the best at it he ends up showing her his memory his childhood memory of the horse and they realize that yes that is an actual memory that someone has experienced and you see the memory maker tear up which comes back like she gets emotional um and you at that moment you feel like oh why is she getting so emotional at a, at a memory and uh, he kind of overshadows her emotion with him flipping out and then leaving so he comes back goes to the baseline test and is still not really back to just being a replicant like this and shows a bit of emotion emotion hesitation in answering a question and um that is already enough for them to kind of question oh is something wrong with him i think we have to terminate him maybe <laughs> you know <laughs> the, the chief says like ah you, you got to do this for me but after you you did that i I don't know. I can't look out for you. Just get your shit in line. And he lies to her and says, yeah, he, he killed the kid. He found the kid and he killed it, but yeah. he didn't. 
So it's like the first time that he like actually lies or maybe not the first time, maybe he already lies before he kind of withholds information before, but it's like the first time he goes, he kind of goes on his own quest. And then <laughs> we get <laughs> the best scene of the movie. <laughs> Lachlan, I got a question for you. After this, we um, got a huge tension, so uh, we need a relief moment, right? And what's better than uh, for relief than having sex? <laughs> sexual want... relief. So I wanted to ask you, Lachlan, would you count this as like normal sex or is it a threesome? Oh, for fuck's sake, of course you ask me this. All right. Yeah, it's a big question of the movie. What, what do you think? I'm not going to ask Technically, Technically, a threesome involves three people, right? Yeah. All right. But there's not physically three people there. Mm-hmm. Now, the other, so, and I say that because Joy is not a real uh, person, but this brings me to the next question. Neither is Kay. He is not a real person either. Can he get pleasure from that? Can replicants have pleasure? I don't know. Yeah. That's the real question. So. We don't know. Is it a threesome or is it just masturbation? Because <laughs> uh, technically two of them aren't take. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't count. So for me, the argument would be with Joy. You wouldn't count having having sex with Siri, but like, I don't know. Speak Siri for yourself would... then, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for me personally, it's Google Assistant because I don't oh, have yeah. an Apple phone. So. Alexa, suck my dick. Anyways, let's let's move on to something equally as enjoying. Um, police being killed because uh, oh, yeah. police. <laughs> my favorite. <laughs> that's a that's a harsh statement, but um, anyways, uh, love uh, confronts the police chief and kills her, and then basically moves on to be. Uh, big bad and chasing um chasing Deckard and I guess K more precisely, but I guess they after Deckard more. And yeah. uh yeah, K goes out on a quest, takes um takes Joy with her and uh disconnects her from like his home because uh basically she, he has to get rid of all the memories, otherwise they would know a lot about him. Which is also interesting. Like you know you can find out a lot about a person just through his partner and also, if your partner is kind of a Siri, or kind of like, I don't know, any kind of technology, just like taking in information as we speak right now, my phone is listening, so he kind of knows some shit. Good buddy over here. Just like, don't tell people. Um, in other words, if you're trying yeah. to run away, clear your browser history. Exactly. Incognito. <laughs> Incognito. <laughs> Imagine for like some kinky shit that he doesn't want to know uh, that he's really into it. He just like puts joy in incognito mode. Fun fact, Ewan, uh, don't you actually just use incognito mode all the time? No, I don't. Um, oh. uh, no, I, I use it to uh, when I Google stuff that I want to see like what the SEO is of something. But I do use it. So I don't know where this like uh, this rumor, this lie has been fabricated. I lose using Cognito all the time. Although I do no have idea. a VPN on all the time. Maybe it comes. Oh, from okay. There. But um, I also just I I also just leave NordVPN on all the time. Yeah, uh, sponsor us, please. We use you anyway, so we love to shout it out. And uh, yeah, basically almost two hours in, actually like one hour and 35 minutes, roughly, uh, we meet Deckard and uh, <laughs> the, the first um, the first meeting doesn't go really smoothly. They end up beating each other until uh, I guess they come to the conclusion that, yo, yo, Deckard, I don't want to kill you. And he's like, oh, you don't want to kill you? Okay, I kill you instead. And it's like, no, don't kill me, please. And he keeps hitting him, hitting him, and then he realizes, oh, he actually doesn't want to harm me. Well, what's his deal? 
and then they start talking. They um, you get that brief like father and son, uh, the, these brief father and mm. son moments. That at at that point of the movie, you maybe still you, you're pretty sure that yeah, I think K is. Deckard's son. But soon after they get discovered, Deckard gets arrested, Love takes him in, and then Mariette comes back and kind of rescues Kay and takes them to the revolution. Uh, I don't know what they're exactly planning to do in the future. That's kind of something that is also not answered in the film fully. But yeah, hold on. So I I had this question, like, what does Love and uh, Wallace actually want with Deckard? Like, why do they want him? Yeah, so bad. Uh, I think it's all about the child. Mm, interesting. Yeah, they just so want to find out where oh, the they, child is. If they can't get the woman, why not get the man who made the child? So if you can get the guy, I mean, child is made with two people. So look, I think it's all about it's all about desperately wanting to upgrade the replicants to be able to have children. That's pretty much what Wallace's goal is. So I think the closest thing they're going to get to is the father of the child to find where the child is. Mm-hmm, obviously, because exactly. then they because then they try to harass him. Uh, so you don't think that so Wallace, yeah, he wants to further make a new product out of it, and yeah, no, he, the whole scene was like, I want you to have the, I want them to be able to breed so they can have millions and trillions of trillions, and I was like, oh, okay, breed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, he basically just wants more power, the more power that he can get. Yeah, although he already seems like he's the most powerful person um of that time and and again something that we haven't really touched on yet is that the movie isn't really concerned about like the bigger parts of society and in its uh like location sorry in its locations it's pretty simple like the it doesn't really go really wide in like sweeping shots of the outside unless it's focused on one of our characters Uh, at least Mm. it was the impression that i had on me although like not to disregard the production design, <laughs> who obviously, like, it, it had incredible, like, locations and stuff like that, but it wasn't concerned about society in there, like, how, how do, how do how does everything operate? It was just kind of a backdrop, which I, I like, because then it's more focused on, on the actual characters and all that. But I guess what I forgot to mention is that when they um, get arrested, Love makes sure to kill Joy. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a... Actually, I thought that was kind of a really sad moment, even though, you know, she's not like she's just AI. It's still she's really sad. Yeah. It's all about uh, innocence, I guess. She she's innocent in all of this. So it's quite depressing to see Kay's love just be murdered like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And his love gets murdered. And then also his kind of hope of being someone special, of being this born replicant replicant gets also crushed pretty soon after when he meets with uh the leader of those like other replicants and and she basically lets him know that uh yeah they had a child it it was it it, it was a, a female child it wasn't a male child so it can't be you and he's like wait what mm. <laughs> can you say that again like what and you can see like how how sad he is like he's back to being this really really lonely being uh that doesn't have like his ai relationship that was something that he cherished even though he knew it wasn't real then he got like the slightest hint of something that actually was real a real relationship that he had a soul he believed that for himself he he questioned that and then that got it taken away from him as well 
And then we get a whole conversation between the really fucked up uh, conversation between um, Wallace and Deckard, where he brings kind of a new version version of Rachel out. And uh, yeah, in a, in, a, in a heartbreaking scene where he looks at her. And, and I mean, talking about like Ryan Gosling withholding um, emotion in, in his face. <laughs> Harrison Ford is so expressive in that scene. It's like, damn, yeah. you get taken back to that whole relationship from the, from the first one, just in those brief two three minutes and um after he says that yeah no she had her eye color were like green or something like that yeah she just shoots her in the head it's brutal and you can see him being taken aback by that even though it's just like someone who uh, looked like her i guess not even with the the right eye color but uh yeah that the sadness has still been with uh, like he carried this with him um, even after 30 years. So, uh, Lachlan, what do you think about his, uh, what, what uh, Deckard said earlier to uh, Kay when, when he said that, like, sometimes the most you can do for a person or, like, the, the most love you can give them is by kind of staying away from them mm. as far as you can. You yes. got any, yeah, you got any thoughts on that? Not really. I'm not a father, so I can't really comment on it as a dad. So, um, yeah, no, I can see what he's saying, though. She is probably the, I think a good example is what the police chief said. It's, she's a fucking bomb. If everyone learnt that replicants can populate, there would be a fucking war that goes on. So, yeah, I think it's pretty um pretty obvious that if the, the less people who knew about her, her existence, the safer she would be. So I think that Deckard knew he would be the most wanted man. So the fact that he didn't know anything, yeah, he, he just had to do what he had to do. And I respect the guy for mm-hmm. it. Mm, yeah, and it's something he had to kind of uh, stay away from so he could protect that person. But I guess I guess he knew that he had a daughter and not a kid, so it was never like he. It never crossed his mind that the person who shows up could be uh, his his son. Yeah. Um, so like you got these two people who have like different expectations and maybe um, yeah expectations from each other, kind of interacting. And, with Harrison, with 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 Deckard, you kind of question like, "Ooh, what's he doing? Does he does he know that this might be his son or not?" But uh, no, he, he goes about it in a sense that he knows that this is just like a replicant. He doesn't have much to do with with him. But um, I guess so. In the end, we realize that this real memory that uh, Deckard's daughter had, she Im- implanted. They implanted into Kay's memory. So that's why he had that connection, why she so um, emotionally reacted when uh, he showed it to her. And uh, we get a standoff between Love and um, Kay, and a brutal standoff. He kills her, and then he brings Deckard to meet his daughter at the memory factory. And um, I think the movie the movie ends with Deckard and his daughter just looking at each other, if I remember correctly. Hold on, let me... Yeah, so it ends with, like, Deckard putting the hand on his glass, and you can see him looking at her, and finally reconnecting, and then it's just like, oh, it's a movie by Dennis Villeneuve, and I'm like, holy shit, that was, that yeah. was some good stuff. Good that ending. was some good stuff. Good ending, yeah. But it, it leaves it leaves uh, Kay kind of off without a real resolution, what it feels like a resolution. You can just, just see him outside in the snow, kind of touching the snow, taking it in, and then laying back. Uh, kind of similar to the way that I guess Roy Batty died in the rain. He just lies down and accepts his fate in a sense. Yeah. I don't know how badly hurt he was as well because she like ripped him the right side of his, 
of his like abdomen <laughs> she ripped up pretty well so i don't know yeah, if he's yeah. like about to die as well that's kind of open-ended but yeah that's just like i don't know just laying down and accepting what's coming down on you is, is kind of an interesting visual image to to leave this character uh with but yeah okay so hold on yeah we got we got through pretty much all the scenes <laughs> which yeah. there were a lot of this is a movie that's almost three hours long so you would expect that to be a lot I guess let's let's talk about the things that we haven't talked about yet. Something we haven't talked about at all is the score and the music overall from uh, Hans Zimmer. You got you got any thoughts on the score? Yeah, it sounded great. <laughs> it did I sound know, great. I, mean, I look, yeah, no, it's it's a really good score. There's nothing really to complain about. I mean, I I don't I don't think it's his best. I don't I I, I it does just for me fade into the background a little bit. In the background, interesting. <laughs> Yeah, I, mm. I, I mean, there are times where I, I, I think the music was a little bit unnecessary. Like, yeah. I mean, in the in the final fight scene, there's like a really, it's it's not really prominent, but there, I can I can hear it, and it obviously I do like it when it does the little bass hit and that he gets hit. But I think in between, I was like, I'd rather it be a little bit more quiet. But I don't know. Yeah, I just I don't really have any complaints or thoughts about the score at all, really. Yeah, I, well, interesting because I feel like it, it, at certain points it kind of overtook the narrative sometimes that's something that that happens a lot i think with Hans Zimmer scores but it gets so loud that you can't not think about the score and it was the first time from a Hans Zimmer score i was like ah, i don't know if i like this, this that much it's a bit too much for me yeah but overall like the soundtrack that he actually like made i think is great i think it's just like in the mixing it was just a bit too loud yeah. at certain points but uh, definitely a great score. We'll we'll round it out on something that's kind of a downer. Um, so Lachlan, again, we talked about this two weeks ago when we talked about Blade Runner the original. Why do you think this movie was also another commercial failure? Like, uh, it, it only made about two hundred forty million, so uh, ended up costing um, Warner Brothers about eighty millions in in loss. And uh, yeah, uh, biggest reason I think it flopped. It's a long ass fucking movie. It's yeah. a slow ass fucking movie. Mm. Had a terrible marketing campaign, and it's a sequel of a film that no one really saw. I guess it's a cult classic. I do think a lot of people have seen it. It is a cult classic, but I think it's a cult classic for film lovers, not mainstream audience lovers. The people who go watch yeah. Fast and Furious probably haven't seen Black Runner. <laughs> I've probably not seen. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that most of them. Have not so been big on that. look, I I originally saw this film in cinemas with my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say my dad's like a like my dad does like movies, but I wouldn't say that he likes the movies the way the, the same movies I like. Like when I watched the light when I watched the lighthouse with him, he was like the fuck, and I was like, ah, this is great. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Same thing here. He was like, oh yeah, it was cool. It was just you know really fucking long. <laughs> And I was like, okay, no, I see that. I see that. And so, yeah, no, I think it's a really long film. Yeah. And I think that really drives people away. Yeah, it definitely is. Unless it's like the 21st movie in a saga and it's Endgame. Yeah. And I guess you can be two hours and almost three hours long. Otherwise, that get just away with it. doesn't really fly by a lot of people. A lot of people already have like issue with movies that are just two hours and slightly over the, the two hour mark. I, I guess from... A science fiction standpoint i think this is a still an accessible movie uh it it doesn't have as much 
I guess, action in it than maybe the typical sci-fi film has. But yeah. like the effects and the world building is so well done that I think you would be intrigued. And I agree with you. I think this like almost three hour l- runtime scared off a lot of people like it always does with long movies. And and it's a shame. I mean, I can't wait to like get another one in 30 years. But, you know, I don't think I don't think the series is done. I can't see another sequel to this. I don't think it's it's uh it's also would be something that anyone would want to see, including yeah. me. I think this is this is just like a great sequel a two uh two films great uh duology of films i don't know how do you call when it's not a trilogy what do you call it anyway, like just two great films back to back that i wish that more more people had seen uh, Denis villeneuve he makes great films but they don't commercially do as great and uh i just hope he gets to do more movies in the future like dune and maybe even smaller dramas and uh yeah maybe that requires a bit more people to see his films but yeah i think that wraps us up for blade runner 2049 if you by any chance have not seen it even after you've heard us spoil the whole film go do watch it it's uh it's on netflix at least here for me where have you watched it luckily netflix netflix as well see netflix pulling through not just in 2020 with taking pretty much every big movie that's left and putting it on their platform no also for the 2017 Blade Runner 2049. Um, but yeah, with that, Lachlan, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, Lachlan Tealy one for Twitter, Tealy at Letterboxd, and just Lachlan Tealy on Instagram. And our next film for a roll that again will be The Social Network. After we tackle uh, Mank, we'll go over this uh, Fincher-Zorkin collaboration. And uh, if you want more bonus content from us, we do have a Patreon with a monthly bonus show. We have extra reviews there, polls, you get episodes early, and um, you get exclusive Patreon-only Discord access. Uh, We have a Discord that you can join even if you're not a Patreon. Come join. We love to chat with you over there. We also have a Twitter that's set underscore quiet. We have an Instagram, quiet on set podcast. On Letterboxd, we are quiet on set. And you can find all of our other personal socials in the show notes below. And with that, we'll wish you a good week. We'll see you back with the social network in two weeks. Bye. 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 Bye bye Monica. Bye 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 bye